Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and as usual, on a Tuesday evening, sitting across the desk from me is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening to the program. Thank you so much for allowing us to come to your home. And we look forward to not only having you listen, but also interacting with us. Now, before we jump in uh, to our continued topic of sexual abuse of children, we are going to go to two questions that have come in since last week's episode. The first one is a follow-up pastor from last week's uh, episode. There was an individual who had sent in a question from the Southern Caribbean and stated that um, you had referenced uh, that they were misrepresenting Scripture and they felt their question was unfairly uh, answered. Do you have any... I passed it along to you, Pastor, so you're familiar with it. Do you have any thoughts? Well, um, number one, I, I, I think the person is conflating the answers that I gave because I find a reference here to Corinthians 5 and, and, and so on. So I'm not too sure how he understood my response to his question. But basically, uh, the one that I mentioned that there was a misinterpretation has to do with his reference to Daniel chapter 2 when he was talking about um, the fact that the in the days of these kings, and then he mentioned different islands and stuff and so on and so forth. My point was that the king's reference there in Daniel chapter 2 uh, really has to do with the ten-nation uh, revived Roman Empire that the Bible talks about, uh, not only in Daniel chapter 2, but also in, Re- in Revelation chapter 13. So it has no reference to the current situation as it is today, no reference to these kings that he, he made reference to. That was my point. Um, uh, so I was just tr- uh, was hoping that um, there wasn't a misunderstanding that I was saying, other, uh, that it might answer related other to that specific question about the, the Ten Kings. So I wanted to be very clear. I do believe that uh, it is a uh, false interpretation. And by the way, let me just say this. There's only one correct interpretation of the Bible. And that is what the author intended, not what I think or what you think, but what the author intended. Um so I just want to make that that clear to, uh, that I wasn't referring to the other matters that apparently he, he's the same person that raised the other questions that I dealt with, but that one specifically about the uh, the nations that are found in Daniel chapter 2, uh, which have to do with the ten-nation confederacy that the Bible talks about in the end time. Uh, so that is yet to come. That's not something that's currently going on. 
Um, so that's what I want to just make some clarity about. Uh, I have looked at that passage, Daniel 2, then I look at Daniel chapter 7 just week, and then I went to Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 17, and I'm very, very sure that the interpretation that was suggested is completely wrong and false. And uh, that was my point. And I can I can do an exposition of Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and uh, Revelation 13 and Revelation chapter 17 at some future date if that is, is, is needed. But that, that should not discourage the young man or whoever it was from sending in uh, questions. Um, you're sending questions to get answers. It doesn't mean that everything I say you can agree with. But I can guarantee you that everything I say is biblical. And I can give you the biblical support for that. Uh, so don't be discouraged because I indicated you had a misinterpretation in that regard. And one other thing, the gentleman that called in that supported my view on the matter, uh, I was saying that all the all the verses that were given on that occasion, I think he gave one in um, gave one in Zechariah, he gave one in Isaiah 11, and there was another one as well. And we were just simply saying that all of those verses relate to the Millennial Kingdom, and it was just verification that there's going to be a Millennial Kingdom on planet Earth where Christ was ruled from Jerusalem. And that's what I was saying uh, when the gentleman uh, pointed out that the interpretation, um, he agreed substantially that you've got to look at what comes before in the text and what comes after the text of proper. In other words, the context is the key to understanding biblical interpretation. So that's what I uh, meant by um, um, by what I said last time, and I hope that that helps to clarify um, any matter that is of great concern to the person. And who said let it. me just also give you a little peek behind the scenes here. When questions come in via WhatsApp or text message, uh, Pastor Murphy nor myself are aware that you are the one that sent in the question. Uh, we don't have that correlation. So if there's anything that is said, it is said uh, he is purely just answering the question and not singling out you as an individual. With that being said, let me encourage you, if you have a question, this is a safe space to ask your question. We're not here to belittle, to, to, to discourage, here to hear your question and answer it from a biblical worldview. You can send it in via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Our next question that has come in is in reference to a video which is entitled, I Met Bob Marley and Michael Jackson Being Tormented in Hell. It comes from a listener. They say, I want you to answer me, Pastor, about this video. Let me just share some clips, uh, some quotes from this video. It's coming from a individual in a woman in the Republic of Togo and she says I had a visitation from the Lord and what I'm about to say is one of my experiences about hell Jesus said to me Victoria many churches do not worship me on Sundays because they worship Satan then the Lord transported me to a place to see Michael Jackson the Lord also told me that those people who still listen and dance with Michael Jackson's music to stop, and those who still have his CDs in their rooms to get rid of them. Then the Lord took me to another pit of hell where I saw Bob Marley. Then Jesus said to me that all those that celebrate the 11th of May being the anniversary of the death of Bob Marley and all those who worship and honor Bob Marley's effigy should know that when they die, this is where they will end up. She also talks about a child who is obsessed with watching television and some other things about Satan. Right away when I said, I'm in the 
I'm in the name of Jesus Christ. The devil just collapsed on the ground. Jesus said to me, Whenever he opposes you while preaching, just use my name. He will fall how he has fallen because he has no power. Pastor, the question is, how can people take the name of the Lord in vain? Can someone really dream something like that? Well, I suppose if you had uh, overeat, you can dream anything. Uh, There's no question about that. People have dreams. Uh, I don't know the individual. I am, again, for Togo. Togo is in Africa. So this is not um, some conspiracy by Europeans or whatever it is, but this is just an African speaking on on this particular matter. Um, If I I listen to the video, and there are a lot of things that concern me that clearly this is being sensational. I think it is in in, in many ways outright uh, incredulous and false because she also says that uh, in the where she saw Michael Jackson and Bob Marley and the other people in hell, she saw that um, snakes were there too and bugs and, and demons and so on and so forth. There are no snakes and no bugs the Bible talks about in this particular matter. Uh, and the reason she gave why the little boy uh, is lost and in hell is because he he watched war movies and cartoons and videotapes and soap operas and pornographic movies. This is an eight-year-old boy. So it's very difficult to conceive of him wanting to watch soap operas. He might watch pornography or something like that, but I can't see him watching soap operas. That's an interest more for ladies, to be honest with you. Um, so I find it difficult to believe there's any substance uh, to be gained from this particular cartoon. And then the fact that, um, you know, um, she mentioned Michael Jackson and Bob Marley. No, Michael Jackson was a Jehovah's Witness. And Bob Marley, of course, was a Rastafarian. Um, there's no question that if they did not put their faith and trust in Christ where they are, there's no doubt about that. Um, Bob Marley never claimed to believe in Christ. Um, he was basically against the biblical doctrine of Christ. So there's no doubt where he is. He's simply not in heaven. And Michael Jackson, of course, you look at their lifestyle, you look at their music, you look at what they've done in terms of uh, the world. They've just been entertainers that have moved people away from God as opposed to towards God. And they have their destiny, and that destiny is not heaven. I can guarantee you that. So I was not, I'm not surprised that uh, this would be mentioned. But the fact is, these are two people that are uh, not saved. And uh, whether she had it in dream or dream or not, a person who does not have the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is damned. And this is not just Michael Jackson, Bob Marley, anybody who have not put their faith and trust in Christ is damned as well. So I don't have a problem with that part of it, but I do have a problem with these dreams and being taken this place and so on and so forth. I think this is being sensational. And the the uh, the person that created it is, is uh, called Peter Stone, and it's called Supernatural Zone website. So I think this is a a marketing tool where these people create these videos. I forgot how many videos he said he create uh, a year, but this certainly has to be some kind of revenue-based project. And I don't. I think that these these videos are probably designed uh, to how somehow bring in income or whatever it is. But this is not something that you want as a believer. Uh, you want to go to scripture, see what the scripture teaches, not to go beyond the scripture. Anytime a man talks or a woman talks about having a dream, if that dream is contrary to scripture, that dream is false. It is in error. You are not not to embrace that. What we got is a sure word of God, and it's an interesting passage in the book of Peter where uh, Peter talks about 
having seen the transfiguration and Jesus Christ being um, transfigured. And then he said, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. In other words, even though he had that uh, physical encounter, real encounter, he's saying that even sure than my own experience there and then is the sure word of prophecy. That gives you the idea of how much confidence he puts in God's word, even in relation to his own personal experience, which was a true experience, but yet the word of prophecy, the word of God is far more to be depended on than any personal experience a person may have. I don't know why people would uh, engage in this kind of activity, um, but I do know this. There's a lot of deception going on out there, and there's a lot of sensationalism going on out there, and people today want something that is bizarre and unusual. They're attracted more to something that uh, seem to be out of the ordinary and not prepared to accept the simple truth of God's word and be taught by God's word. They want something sensational and, and what the market wants, the market normally gets. Uh, supply and demand not only relates to the economic field and commerce but it also relates to religion and that's why today there's so much entertainment uh, in, in the church because that's what the people want and the silly thing about it is that the pastors are accommodating them by giving them the entertainment at the expense of the solid meat of God's Word. And that's why there's such shallowness in Christianity today. You're listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Thank you to the individuals who sent in your questions already, and we look forward to your interaction. You can call and be put live on the air. 268-462-7420 is the phone line to be put live on the air. If you'd rather not speak live on the air, but you want to send in your question, there are other ways you can do that. You can send it in via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Or you can go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and comment right there in the comment section on your device, and it'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Now, we are and have been for the last, I believe, maybe four weeks, have been discussing the topic that is uncomfortable for all of us, but something that needs to be discussed. It's that of sexual abuse of children. And ironically, disturbingly, uh, just this past week, I was reading an article in the newspaper here in Antigua of a 31-year-old man who, well, he's now 33, but who had sex with his 16-year-old niece, and she was staying at the same house that he was staying at, and he has been convicted of that and will be imprisoned for seven years. And ironically, some of the same things that you've been talking about, warning signs, Pastor, were mentioned in this article. In fact, let me just read this sentence. It says, It wasn't until the victim refused help of this individual wanting to loose out her hair sometime later that the incident came to light. Uh, he had told her she needed to keep quiet about it. Mm-hmm. But um, as disturbing as this topic is, it definitely needs to be discussed because it's happening, unfortunately. And as you've stated in previous weeks, your goal is to in remind parents of things, some safeguards they can take and some things they need to be aware of you want to give us just a brief summary of what some of the highlights would be from previous weeks before we jump into new material? Well, I think the first thing we did try to establish is why we go into this kind of a gory subject that people find sometimes even repulsive. And I think we made it very clear that, you know, sexual abuse doesn't wait until we are prepared for it. 
is something that happens. It's a very common thing in society, um, and it's now becoming uh, more public, and people are speaking out, uh, and so on. And of course, when you look at the dire statistics uh, relating to this whole matter, uh, we discover that one in four women have been abused, one in uh, about six men have been uh, have been abused sexually. This is a terrible um, secret that has been kept for many, many years. And I also mentioned that in our every church, basically, on most churches, when you sit down in there on Sunday, at least 20% of those sitting there have gone through some kind of sexual abuse. But nobody has spoken about it. You just sit in silence. And nobody understands the pain and the anguish and the guilt and the shame and the sense of loss of self-worth that is there when they're trying to grapple. And if some of them feel very nasty, and um, as a matter of fact, I also discovered, Nathan, that because they feel that way that nobody would want them, some of them deliberately keep themselves in a situation that they're not attractive. They either become obese or they don't dishevel their hair. In other words, they, it's as though they, uh, there's a sense of, um, you know, I'm not worth much and I don't want you to find out whatever it is so therefore I'll avoid any intimacy any kind of relationship and to do that of course if you're an attractive person you've got to do things to turn people away from you so it's a very deep psychological pain that is caused by this matter so we thought by increasing the, the, the person's understanding of the etiology of the problem how it starts etc etc uh, help people to best understand what measures can be put in place to help protect the children and then those who are trying to seek to help people uh, in this area uh, to let them understand the horrors of the consequences and also the, give them the warning signs and then don't forget if we don't deal with this subject silence uh, that surrounds this matter is the greatest ally of the perpetrator the fact it's not discussed so it has to be something that we need to open up so that people feel more freely in dealing with it. And hopefully the, sex, the program has, has helped people to maybe um, prepare maybe to talk more about it, maybe go to somebody if it's happened to them in the, in the past and they need some kind of, of, of help. They've just been dealing with it. Um, so so with that, with the, who's at risk? We talk about who's at risk. We talk about the warning signs. Uh, we also... Uh, discuss different definitions and we talk about the two types of sexual abuse uh, we talk about the pip typical course that uh, it takes when a child is going to be abused the four different steps seduction uh, stimulating uh, we also talk about the matter of uh, silence and suppressing the um, not the person so that they don't tell about these type of things and we looked at a general profile of who's the perpetrator uh, so basically, we, we did a fairly rounded uh, matter on this, on this, and if you've missed the programs before, you might want to pick them up at some point in time and follow up with this one this evening. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I was just going to mention, if you are wanting to go back to a previous episode, it is quite easy. There's a number of ways you can do it. One of the easiest ways is you can go to our website, radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second large picture that you see. It's a picture of a microphone, and right in the center, there's a circle that says podcast. Click on that. And then on the next page, you can click on the That's Truth podcast and then the That's Truth podcast archive, and you can look for the previous episodes. They're listed in chronological order. So the latest ones posted are the latest ones that took place. We've been covering this topic 
since episode 195, 196, 197, and 198, and tonight's episode is 199. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.52, and we look forward to your interaction on the program. Whether you have a question on the topic of sexual abuse or whether it is a suggested topic that you would like discussed on a future episode of That's Truth. We look forward to you calling at 268-462-7420 or sending in your thoughts on 268-782-1454 via WhatsApp or text message. Pastor, since you're dealing with this topic of sexual abuse, can you give us a little bit of differentiation between these different forms of sexual abuse, molestation, rape, and incest, and if there's anything else along those lines? Well, molestation is uh, the unlawful sexual contact, but it doesn't normally involve any kind of penetration. So that's like a person playing with a person's breast or earlobes or thighs or fondling the person, that is molestation. It's not the sexual act itself, but you're actually manhandling the person in some way or the other. And normally molestation uh, is the preamble to the actual uh, getting into this matter of uh, abuse. But that, that's what molestation is. So a, woman, a, per, a child who has not been penetrated, but who has been played with and manhandled, that is molestation, and that's a serious crime as well against a minor. Rape, however, is the forceful sexual act that results in penetration. And normally it is against the person's will, uh, where the person is overpowered and taken advantage. advantage. Uh, rape is normally a one-time event, but uh, molestation is something that continues until it comes to the point of, of sexual abuse. Uh, incest. Uh, is the interaction with a child or an adolescent uh, with a person um, member who gets involved with that person sexually. Um, um, it could be a member of the child's family. It could be an adoptive relative, uh, someone related by marriage or remarriage to the child. Uh, and, 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 and incest is something that is very, very progressive and it normally goes from subtle touching to fondling and that eventually leads up to sexual activity. These incestuous relations continue for a very long time and uh, as, as a matter of fact, this is the first, this is the most common form of sexual abuse, incest. Really? Yeah. Uh, incest occurs primarily in the following uh, relationships in this order. The first time it's normally between a daughter, a father, or a stepfather. This is the most common form of it. A daughter, father, stepfather. A daughter with a grandfather, an uncle, or male cousin is the second thing. Thirdly, a sister with a brother or half-brother or brother-in-law. Uh, a son uh, with a stepfather or father. A son with his mother or a daughter with his daughter. So that's the order and sequence in which incest is commonly uh, manifested um, but that's the difference between the, the, the three of them basically uh, one is no penetration but fondling and, and manhandling um, one is deliberate overpowering the person it's normally a single act but incest is the one where this is molestation first and it leads to sexual activity and it continues over a period of time and it always involves somebody within the family whether the immediate family or a person who is remarried and have 
uh, other persons. So that's that's where the the the, um, the difference between these these different types of, of, of matters. What about the topic of disclosure? What do statistics or those who have studied this topic out, counselors, what do they say children and teens normally tell about their abuse? Who do they talk to? Well, when it comes to disclosure, um, the abuser, girls uh, are more likely to disclose about their abuse than boys, and you can see why. No boy wants to tell anybody they've been bookered, to be honest, because that is abnormal. But certainly, um, a sex between a male and a female, that is something that even though it's abusive, it is still a normal thing for a boy. That's why men hardly ever talk about uh, whether their uncle or some other male friend that they had. So that's the first thing you need to be with, that girls are more likely to disclose it, uh, abuse than boys. Um, School-age children, tend to tell some caregiver or somebody in authority, like they might tell a teacher, or they might even tell their Sunday school teacher, or they might tell a counselor at school, or even if they have a, 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 a youth leader that they feel comfortable with. But they normally would tell somebody rather than tell their parents uh, or somebody immediately connected. That's because of a sense of shame. And very often they feel that they're guilty, that if it's gone on more than once or three times, why didn't stop it? Why didn't tell somebody? But at the time, you're so embarrassed and so shameful, you don't tell it. It happens again. And over a period of time, of course, you can develop the point where, because, as I said before, it's a pleasure, you can actually begin to enjoy part of it. So that creates that guilt and that shame that you're part of the whole thing. And that's why uh, they're so real. Ad- uh, adolescents are more likely to tell their friends so teenagers are more likely to tell a good friend that's good there that what has happened as opposed to even telling other people. And very young children tend to accidentally reveal abuse because they don't fully mu- understand what is happening. Like they, you might find a child say, Daddy hurts me. Mm. You know, make that kind of a statement. But what do you mean by that? And that's where parents have to be very, very inquisitive. When your child makes some statements that you don't understand, well, tell me what you mean by that. Uh, I was reading where one guy was saying that when when we going to, when they go into shower, don't want to sound gross, Nathan, but he's saying that daddy puts him on his knees and slides him down, and it hurts him that way. But again, unless the parent starts to ask those kind of questions, what what do you mean by that? You know that kind of thing, uh, or they cry. When, another way to do it, they cry when the person wants to take them somewhere. Uh, that never happened before. So that's why when it comes to very young children, you can't expect them to come to you say, Daddy, I'm being abused on Mommy. But they would say things that you have to be sensitive to. And uh, I don't want to say this, but you can't be too trustful. Uh, and a child is not, you know, a child is one of the most innocent things in the world of kids. They tell you anything. I mean, <laughs> they, don't, yeah. they don't mean to break your heart, but they're so innocent. And we've got to be able to listen to them when they, they say certain things and not just brush them aside as though they're telling stories. So that that's how it, it happens between the teenagers and the younger people, et cetera, et cetera. And along those same lines, the article I referenced at the beginning here where it was kept quiet for a while, but then when the individual wanted to help let out the hair, the victim said no, and it wasn't until another family member said, why won't you let them touch you? 
see. The, yeah, that's a know? classic example, very classic example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, it, it's good that the the uh, the parent followed up with that and tried to find out why, rather than just leave it there, mm-hmm. right? Um, this this I look. We're living in a, such a corrupt world, and as I mentioned more than once on this on this program, Nathan. This entire world is turbocharged sexually because of the prevalence of pornography. So it, it is not, it's becoming, it's not getting any better, it's getting worse, it's getting worse and getting worse. And uh, p- parents ought to be alert that this is not the 1950s or the 1960s that we're living in. We're living in a very depraved world and people's minds are very, very corrupt. And we ought to pay more attention to our kids than we formerly did because of all of this pervasive evil that is so common today. What should a parent do, a guardian, a teacher, what should you do when a child, especially a minor, comes and tells you that they have been abused? Well, the working assumption uh, when a child comes and tells you something like that is to um, believe that the child is telling the truth. Now, if she's not telling the truth, the validity of what she's saying can be investigated later. But you've got to just go, if you, you know your child, and uh, if your child will come and tell you something like that, just assume that what she's telling you is true. Don't just shut her down or shut him down and uh, thinking that he has ill will towards whoever else he's saying that against. So the first thing, and very listen very carefully to what they're actually saying. Listen to their, uh, their words and the their nuance of their words. Stay calm and don't become very critical of them. Or don't say that. You know, that shuts the child off completely. So just stay calm. It might You might find it difficult, as you uh, believe in it, that you can get very, very angry and the way you say it, but that's not, the child doesn't see it that way. She sees the anger is coming at her. You might be angry at the person, I can't believe, but and the way you're talking, how she differentiates whether you mean her or not, or, or whatever the situation is. And then... Uh, let the child talk, accept your child's what he says, believe what your child says, and always try to reassure your child of, no matter what he's saying, of your love. This has happened, I, I love you, I, I care about you, whatever it is, but uh, the problem with them is they think when they tell you that you're not going to love them because you allow something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. They, see, they, think, they think they're responsible, see? So that's where you've got to uh, let them know you, you, what you're doing. Is I would respond the same way, I, I love you, care about. Let the child know that what happened to him or her is not their fault. Get that very, very clear in your mind. Don't blame yourself for this. This is not your fault. You're a minor. Uh, this should not have happened to you. And uh, if they seem to be very fearful, take their fear very seriously. Uh, and I think that, it, and then the other thing, Nathan, is don't promise confidentiality that you can't keep. Because the person would have told them certain things, uh, you know, this might, if you tell mommy I might go to jail or something like that, or the police would come for us or break up the family, you can't promise the child that nothing would happen to the person. So how do you, what do you say to the child if they express concerns about the the abuser having to go to jail? Well, again, you're going to have to, in my judgment, you have to try to let the child understand that there's, there's certain times that people do things that there are consequences, right? And you can relate that to her. When I speak to you and you do certain things, mommy doesn't love to I have to whip you or to deal with you, but I have to deal with you. And but you're gonna have it's very difficult, especially if it's a a person that they care about, a person who's been pampering them for a long time and giving them things for a long time. But you can't make a promise that you can't keep because once there is 
uh, sexual abuse with a minor, it has to be reported. Uh, doctors have to report it when they go to examination. Professionals that they deal with counselors have to report it. Uh, pastors have to report it as well. It's not something you can hush hush and hide hide. As a matter of fact, I was learning sometime uh, about two weeks ago, somebody was sharing with me how a pastor just lost his ministry. Hmm. Uh, there was abuse in the church, and uh, he dealt with it without. He wanted to give the guy a second chance. Right, and he he himself was not part of the abuse, but he felt that you know this guy deserves a second chance. The problem is the person who the, uh, was committed against, uh, she felt it should have been dealt with, so it became known to the congregation, and you know what that meant? He had to resign. Yeah. Right, and this is a very this is a pastor I know, I've heard him preach. He has a fantastic ministry. Uh, and when I heard his story uh, for the first time, I, I, I couldn't believe it happened to him. But he's a very compassionate man. And I can see him not wanting it to go to the consequence where it will permanently put this person who committed this act. Because the person seemed to have been repentant. But again, there are certain laws these days because of this hush-hush going on for so long, it puts the past in a predicament where if the, if, the, if the government says that according to the law, you have to report this kind of thing, you can't be silent on these matters. You have to report them. Uh, you know, there was a time when doctors had confidence with their the clientele, again. Uh, there are lawyers who can know certain things and can't, can't share. So I'm not too sure exactly where the line is drawn today, but I do know that once it's a minor, it has to be reported. And um, sad that this has happened uh, to this particular person. So you got, whether it's the law that you have to report it or not, isn't it just, I mean, there's a part of me that feels for the minor that was abused. Shouldn't we just immediately take it to the law enforcement, to the authorities? Yeah, but this is a case that happened so many years ago. Okay. You see what I'm saying? It was not something that just happened immediately. But... Um, Nonetheless, the law had stipulated you should have done that. You know, I'm a little bit ambivalent sometimes, Nathan, when I say it depends on the... T- and this was not a sexual encounter. Mm. This was actually t- touching and fondling. So it was not as though there was any kind of penetration involved in that. And the, the pastor uh, felt that uh, this young man had repented. And because there was no actual sexual act, but it was molestation, you see what I'm saying? and But he he's paying the consequences for it. He's a good man, mm. a godly man in my judgment, but I think he made a wrong choice at that time and it turned around and bite him. I don't know what church will now turn around and uh, accept him. You know, if he's, I, don't, I really don't know, but that's a very terrible situation. Um, so I, all I'm saying to you and to those who are listening, and, and maybe if pastors are listening, you cannot make a promise to somebody if a child comes to you or some adult, what it comes to you, a young man come to you, a 16-year-old or 15-year-old girl come and tell you that uh, these kind of things. You've got to try and deal with it and not uh, and so on. Uh, <clears throat> so I would I would also lay one caution here, Nathan, that while you must accept the fact that the child comes and tell you that, and on the um, the working assumption is that they're speaking the truth, again, the validity of what they're saying has to be verified, uh, and so on. And and I want to lay a caution here: there are sometimes children who don't like the mommy's partner or the daddy's partner that will deliberately do things 
and say things to get that person into trouble. It's a sobering thought. So you have to be balanced with this whole thing. But the assumption must be that they're speaking the truth. And again, you know, you should know your child by then. If they have a prone to tell, exaggerate and tell lies, that's a different story. If your child has always been a very straightforward type of person, so you've got to know the child and the character of the per- person. So that's the first thing. Uh, you heard the, the, the child. And then um, after the disclosure... Uh, the initial act then is to establish the credibility of what is happening. Uh, again, several factors you should take into consideration. The, the character of your child, that's important. You've got to know your child. Number two, the details. Uh, listen to what she's saying. Does it make sense from what she's saying or he's saying? What do you say to the parent, though, that says, Pastor, I don't want to hear the details. It's disgusting. It's revolting. It makes well, me if they don't, if they don't want the parent themselves, if the wife can't handle it the, and they want the husband to handle it, or... Um, get a pastor, get a trusted friend, mm-hmm. but the, the, you've got to be able to establish yeah. what is what is happening. Uh, what about your own observation? She, what she's telling you about this person? Have you ever had a thought like that? I mean, uh, has he had the opportunity to 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 have done this to my my child, whatever it is? And normally, remember, we said that normally when it comes to abuse, it's always somebody well known by the family. Never forget that. It's always somebody that's a friend that the family feels comfortable with. It's not a stranger. That's rape, basically. But when it comes to this kind of abuse, it's normally somebody the family's familiar with, quite at ease with, etc., etc. So you've got to look back in your mind and think, well, uh, did I leave her at any time or him at any time? Uh, do I, does that person have the liberty to come at my home certain times? You know, it depends on the type of person it is. And uh, what about the character of the person that is being is being suggested the things that you know about that person uh, and so on so if you're convinced now that it's credible uh, after you've assessed the situation the next step obviously is to decide if there's any danger to the child who's told you that Uh, and if you've sensed there's any sense of danger as a result of this being told you've got to take steps so that there's no harm or risk of harm etc and then you might want to take her to a doctor because again this is part of verification and uh, if your child is six or seven or I mean and she is a and uh, the doctors can examine if the hymen is, is burst or something they would know exactly if something has happened if they can tell if there was any kind of sexual encounter there etc uh, but ultimately you've got to get the police involved and the social services involved uh, that is a social transformation that handles these type of things. So you as a parent um, need now to report that to the police and let the police do their own investigation. Your your investigation just basically, um, that's not something that is legal, basically. You're just trying to find out to satisfy yourself that there's justification before you call the police and whatever it is. Because the worst thing you can do is to jump the gun and then discover that this is just a bogus story. Look, I know the a pastor friend of mine that is now dead. It's the saddest story I can tell you about. The My understanding of the situation is that um, the daughter wanted to get married to a person who was divorced. The father, who was a pastor, intervened and said, that's not going to happen, you're not going to. It is believed that out of spite, she charged him of abusing her, literally did. And I, 
uh, it became a scandal in this uh, Baptist circle. And another pastor had to, it was actually in the papers, public papers, the man professes innocence. Uh, the girl turned around and said that the father even abused his son. The son said that never happened. Like to make a long story short, it had to take a pastor to go in to, to do a lot of investigation to finally discover that what she was saying was not absolutely true. But the damage, I don't know how he survived, by the way. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but he, he, he remained as a pastor. The church accepted him. Because of this, but I, I don't know if I could handle that personally, right? Um, and it's just, it, I, I know him well. He, he died uh, fairly recently. And I just understood his pain. But again, it wasn't true. But here was it again. She had also told other pastors, who now told other pastors. So all these other pastors were personally ganging up on the, against this guy to get him personally out of the ministry. Lo and behold, when it's all thoroughly done and over, there was no validity to it. It's just she's trying to get back at her, at her dad. These things happen. Hmm. These things happen. They very, very can be very, very vindictive. Um, I don't think that the time that people understand the repercussions of what that means. But I've been hurt, therefore I'm going to hurt you back. And uh, but so these things. Can, that's why I said it's not your final. You know, you got to be very. Let the the police come in and the social services, whoever, let them do the investigation to see if there's any validity that charges can be brought against. And you cannot, for example, if you're a counselor, you cannot stop a child from going home. The only people who has that is legal authorities. So if you have to share that, suppose you say that child should not go, you're staying with me, you can't do that, you're in trouble. It's the legal authorities that have that right to say that the child, because of the concerns about the safety, can do that. That's why you need to bring in the legal authorities, the police, and bring in the social services. Um, but that needs to be done. Um, uh, one other thing I would like to say that when a family is going through this kind of trauma, of having to deal with this kind of thing, uh, you know, they are, um, I don't want to say, torn and worn out, exhausted, troubled, confused. And that's where, um, if you're trying to help the family, um, you should offer to run errands for them, uh, stuff like that. Uh, sometimes you might decide, Look, let me cook for you today, you know, because this is like, you put yourself in that situation, you're mm -hmm. dealing with your child, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, you, you don't have any energy, everything just seemed to be, this can't be happening to us. Uh, and then, of course, you can offer sometimes, even if you want to be in a practical way to help these people, to, look, let me come home, I'll clean the house, and sweep the house. You're just giving them, letting them have enough time to deal with this matter, where they don't have to do a lot of the things that come into play, because this is, I can't imagine it happening to me, Right. To be honest with you, uh, I got three boys, and when they were young, and something this would have happened to them, I just don't know what I'm capable of doing, uh, as a, as a, even as a pastor, because these things are so devastating to your child. And remember that the child is scarred for life. It's true that they will recover if you can, because what they need is hope. They need love. They need compassion. Uh, they need a sense of self worth. The only way that you can actually give them that sense of self-worth is for them to find forgiveness in Christ, the love of Christ, and the fact of their identity in Him, and also the fact that they are special individuals created by God. I would say this to you, Nathan. There is no other 
form of non-biblical counseling that can offer love, can offer identity, can offer a sense of uh, compassion, uh, uh, a sense of forgiveness of guilt. There's no other form. How, what what, what um, secular counseling can offer a person forgiveness from guilt? Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Hmm. So I, I want Christians to understand that we have tools to help people in that because that's what they need above everything else. And while they might need secular therapy to help them, etc., what they really need is to feel their worth, to feel that they're loved, uh, to feel their identity, etc., etc., and above all, that they are forgiven if there's any sense of guilt that is there. And no man can remove my guilt. Only God can remove that. So the Christian has a vital role to play in that regard. Pastor, do you ever have any concerns that a counselor or an advisor can put thoughts into the mind of a supposed victim that recreate a situation that didn't happen or make a situation more extreme than what happened? I think all things like that, all things are possible. That's why I said to you, initially believe the child, but at the same time, uh, you have to verify what the child is saying. And I do think that uh, none, uh, but it depends if the, the, the person is a professional counselor. I don't know what they're taught, how to deal with those kind of things, but it is possible to inject ideas into a child's head. And of course, uh, depending on the age of the child, they assume that that is what really happened. It's the same thing that happened sometimes with hypnosis. Uh, you hypnotize the child to find out what happened but they have to put ideas in the child's mind to bring those things back up and that's the danger of going through the hypnosis to try to discover what really happened so I think it's possible and um, I feel more comfortable Nathan where there is a godly pastor or a godly Christian counselor. I don't mind if you bring in somebody you think is more professional, but I think it's important for some godly person or some Christian person to be there to be hear what is being said so that they're very, very clear that it's not the suggestion of the expert that is cre- that's making the child believe these kind of things. So I think it's, it's good to be there. I think the parents should be there as well if it's possible. But um, the malpractice in um in counseling is very real sometimes and uh it can and you can imagine if somebody hasn't committed something and is injected into the child's mind uh you never can live it down because no matter you know the more you try to disprove something the more people think that you are trying to get it and that's where you end up in in great difficulty so i do think it's it's possible and that's why you need to have somebody else there to listen as well that can verify You're listening to That's Truth. It is a live, interactive call-in program on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at radiolighthouse.org. And if you are joining us on Facebook, you can also comment your questions right there on the comment section of your device. We are glad to have you listening and watching from wherever you are joining us from, whether it's the Caribbean or whether it's from the other side of the world. Currently at the Radio Lighthouse studio on this Tuesday evening, we have a time of 8.19. And you may have just tuned in and said, man, this is a morbid, depressing topic. I think I'm going to tune to another station. I think I'm going to go listen to some peaceful music. Pastor, why should we stay tuned and continue 
Look, we have to live in the real world and face reality as it is. And the, the best place, in my judgment, to deal with these type of matters is from a Christian perspective. Um, I'm not here to mislead you in any area. I don't have any, any feathers I need in, 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 in my hat. Uh, I'm just simply explaining to you what happens. And I, I, and I really feel that uh, there are people who have gone through this who are probably listening. And I, I hope at some point in time you get healing. But one of the things that you're going to have to do to, to get healing is to confront the perpetrator. That is one of the great essentials to get healing. Um, uh, I know that one of the other concerns that people have, you, you know, it's been such a long time. I don't want to create problems for the person. I understand that, to be very honest with you. I think there's got to be some measure of forgiving heart in, in matters like that. Uh, but I do feel it's important to confront the individual. And I, and I would say to you, it depends on the response that if you think that needs to go further, to my mind, if the person is willing to acknowledge and, you know, whatever it is, and is genuinely um, um, repentant or sorrowful and uh, apologetic, whatever it is, I think that needs to be borne in mind. I'm talking people who's had this, who, who happened when they were young and now they're maybe in the 20s or the 30s or whatever it is, who are trying to grapple with this kind of thing. But uh, it, it's important to confront the individual at some point in time. And for your own sake, as a Christian, to let them know you, you forgive them or you release them, whatever it is. But uh, let them know that you know what was happening and that they really didn't get away with it. I think that's important as well. Do you have a question, maybe along the lines of this topic of abuse of minors? Maybe it's a topic that's related to the Bible. Maybe it's a topic not at all related to anything that we have discussed tonight. We still want you to send in your question. You can send it via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. It may seem like a trivial, silly question to you. Maybe you're even embarrassed to ask it. We will not trace it back to you, and especially if it's something that you want to remain completely anonymous and you don't know one, want anyone to know what country or what region of the world you are sending it from, just put anonymous as the first word when you send in your message to us on WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. You can call and be put live on the air by calling 268-462-7420. Or you can join us on Facebook Live. While you listen to the program and watch behind the scenes, you can comment your questions on the comment section, and they'll get passed along to Pastor Murphy. Pastor, what exactly happens? You referenced that once you've done your own preliminary investigation to determine the credence of this situation, then you turn it over to the social services or the police. What happens when they get involved? Well, uh First of all, they um, within the social transformation. I don't. I think they might have what you call the uh, child protective services. Um, the report is made, and normally the police is is, is involved if it is is is, is, is uh, credible, and they have to investigate. And normally within forty eight to seventy two hours, um, the police try to decide if this is uh, something that is valid, etc. The normally would meet with the child and the family that's involved, and out of that, they try to establish if there seems to be any real evidence that some crime has been committed, 
and uh, then they would have to investigate as a criminal uh, criminal case of investigation. Um, three factors are normally involved in this matter. Um, normally, the family court might um, request that if you didn't get take the child yourself, uh, that the child be examined. There must be a kind of a um, medical examination. Um, this this one is fairly fairly tough, Nathan. I remember I dealt with something uh, where I felt there was abuse myself, um, and I met with certain representatives uh, in s social services. Um, was it, um, and I tried to pressure them. The person, the child was not. I mean, they were not uh, a minor still. And I tried to pressure them to get the child examined. But uh, the problem there was that uh, it seemed as though you need to get the mother's permission. And I, 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 I wasn't able to, to persuade her. And, but I wouldn't give you the whole story because I think people that are listening might know some of what I'm talking about. But I thought that was a tragedy. Uh, and I couldn't see any reason why. Here was my point. It's better to be sure than not be not to you know it's, it's happening, and the other thing is if there's examination, there's nothing. There is nothing there, but what if there is something there? I mean, it doesn't hurt. I couldn't get that across to the thing, and I, I took a lot of licks for it. <laughs> I don't want to go into that again, but I think that that is crucially important. Um, uh, and then, of course, the other the key thing here is that the. The safety of the child is something that the the the, the authorities would now be looking at. Uh, is the perpetrator still in the home? Uh, is he near to the the individual? Uh, is it a person, neighbor, whatever it is? So that would have to be looked at by the authority. But that's outside the realm of a counselor. I mean, a, a pastor, whatever it is. When it comes to these kind of things, let the police deal with these kind of things. You're there to help the child and help the parent. But when it comes to this final investigative work and dealing with all this kind of thing, it's the responsibility of social services and also responsibility of the police to conjointly work together to try to establish uh, this matter. We have a comment from a listener. Good evening. This topic is breaking my heart because I deal with children every day. I could recall hearing a child telling her mother that her uncle, her mother's brother, touches her. The mother's reaction was, that's a lie. I turned to the mother and said, that's your child, and I believe her. It turned out that the uncle was accused by his own daughter and other girls. I could recall teaching teenagers... And these male peers had a habit of sexually touching the girls. When I took them to the office, the girls denied the claims, but afterwards admitted it was so, but begged the principal not to disclose the nature to their parents. Yeah. Listen, her story can be repeated again and again and again and again. As I said, Nathan, we are living in a turbocharged sexual generation, and these things are happening so frequently. The problem is parents, um, because they themselves substantially are very immoral, to be very honest with you, I don't think they take these matters very seriously. Uh, but I can't conceive of my child, my daughter, or my son telling me my, his uncle or his friend or uh, and not take that seriously. And then the worst you can do is to tell her 
that's not happening, that's not true. When it gets worse, no, is she going to come to you? Is he going to come to you? It's never no. going to happen. Yeah. It's better you check these things out. And a lot of children can be saved from going through this trauma if parents would be more observant and take their children more seriously. And uh, I, I just, it, 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 I can't fathom if I know my child, and every person should know their child well enough to know that your child is not going to come and tell you some bogus story of that nature. I mean, so I think that, uh, and again, it's interesting this lady's talking about this thing, and uh, I am suggesting to you it's far more common. Oh, I was to mention this uh, on the radio. Uh, I know of a situation. I learned of a situation. Also, I know, of a situation, and I, I believe it's. I know it to be correct. Where there are men that drive behind schoolgirls in cars and stop them. Wonder how old they are. Where they, I'm serious. I know of one girl who written down their numbers. Right. I think that to be reported to the police. Yeah. Okay. But I was shocked. This is something I learned within our circle. Right, mm. and I said I, I can't believe this, but literally stopping because you know they, they look a certain age, mm. so they want to know you know whatever it is. But it's it's very significant that this person has written down these 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 uh, numbers. But these are adult men, old men as well, stuff like that. When I heard that, uh, well, I don't want to say too much, but I was shocked that they'd be so stupid. Uh, you, you can imagine that you are a 35 or 40 year old man stopping a young girl asking her age and where she live and telling her how she looks and stuff like that and you're not even aware that she's writing down your number I mean it's ridiculous that you these people are so um, corrupt in their mind that they don't make good song judgments whatsoever and I think that uh, these things ought to be reported and uh, you know because these are predators trying to take advantage you know when you can offer a teenage girl who wants Nike shoes or who wants a new cell phone or who wants spending money and she finds herself in a difficult situation maybe her family is not well off uh, these girls uh, fall victim to these things quite easily and these predators need to be jailed or incarcerated or something needs to be done to them but they can't continue wreaking havoc on uh, our young people. Here's a question that has come in. Pastor, how should one deal with isolation from family during marriage because the husband's mother or the mother-in-law is not liking the wife? I oftentimes miss my family, but even after marriage, my mother doesn't accept my family, my wife. We're in a place of isolation with no family or friends. How can we overcome this? Well, several things that come to my mind right here, and I don't want to uh, seem as though that I am blaming you for all these type of things or whatever, but what I'm, I'm saying this for the benefit of those who are not in your situation or who are going to marriage. One of the crucial things about marriage is that your partner be accepted in your family. Okay? I think that's... I personally would hardly marry a person if the other person's family is against the marriage. Win over the family first. That's my first win over the family. Now, I'm not saying I would not make an exception, but generally speaking, it's crucial because you're marrying into a family. You're not just marrying an individual. You're marrying into the family. And I keep telling people this. Grandparents can come with the greatest blessings you will ever have. When you have your kids, you know how much money they save you when they can help you with your not having to send a child to the nursery, take care of them. You just think about what it means if they weren't there. And I think 
in other ways, too, you run into financial problems sometimes. You need to turn to some people. The best people to turn is your grandparents. You need some help at this point in time. And they, they love their grandchildren. They just spoil them. So, quite frankly, I think it's crucially important that you try to stop. But having said that, second thing is, my question would be, are you Christians? Are you a Christian? Is your wife a Christian? Because the approach to this whole matter has to do with your relationship with God. Okay, and I think that if you're both Christians, my advice to you would be to meet with a pastor, a godly pastor that is going to be objective and is not going to take your side or take her side, not going to take anybody's side, but who will work through with this kind of thing and try to help you uh, that you can break down this barrier and even willing to visit the in-laws and sit down and talk with the in-laws to try to heal this thing. It's not helping you nor helping your wife to live in isolation from your in-laws. And I don't know what would have caused your wife uh, not to upset your family. I just don't have a clue what that is. But again, if she's a Christian, there has to be room for forgiveness and restoration. So I think that someone would need to be talked to your wife and uh, bring her to the biblical position that, as the Bible says, as much as life when you live peacefully with all people, all people, to love your neighbor. Certainly, <laughs> uh, your neighbor is anyone in need, as the Samaritan points out. So there's no reason for her to have this animosity or this hatred or whatever it is, a resentment against your uh, your family, I think that needs to be worked on. So, my that my I I don't see that as an insolvable problem, but I don't think it's helping by living in isolation. I think there needs to be healing there, and my recommendation would be to get somebody to meet with you and your wife, find out what's going on, why this thing has happened, and try to work with the person who has this 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 between the two, and see if it can help bring down those barriers and deal. If there's a problem happened in the past, let them deal with that. Right, but I don't think it's helping that way. And that's my suggestion to you, really, to, at this point in time. If you've spoken to your wife already and she's still not budging, you still want to keep your family. You still want to keep your wife. You don't want to destroy your marriage. But if it continues down this road, it's going to affect your children when you have children and their relationship with their in-laws, mm. and you don't want that. So you need to solve this problem, and this problem is solvable. If you are two Christians, I have no doubt in my mind this problem is solvable. So get the help, sir, and. Uh, um, it, don't panic. Don't panic. You mentioned if you're Christians. What do you mean by Christian? Do you mean just go to church? No. Um, a Christian is a person who have repented of his sins and put his faith and trust in Christ. That is what a believer is. is a genuine, authentic repentance of his sins and is a genuine uh, turning to Christ and a relationship with Christ. I, the only way I can put it is this way, Nathan. When a person becomes a Christian, Christ becomes everything to that person. Your life, your whole life is about pleasing Him, living for Him. I don't have any other way to explain. I, I, you don't become a Christian just to escape hell. Mm. Okay, It's more than that because you understand you're escaping hell, but it's also the dimension where you, your whole life is now committed to Him. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes and, and you're not going to backslide, etc., etc. But as a believer, your whole entire focus changes now. You're forgiven, you're pardoned, you're a child of God, and you're now living to please Him. But it, it is all about repentance and faith and trust in Christ. It's not about just going to church and sitting down and, and going to church and, and saying you're a Christian because you went forward one day and, and said a little prayer. 
that's not what being a Christian is all about. Uh, it's about a conscious turning away from sin because of the conviction power of the Holy Spirit and a conscious turning your life over to Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And I would say to you, a consciousness that you are now dedicating your life to Him to serve Him. That, in my judgment, is what Christianity is all about and what salvation is all about. Church comes later because you want to be part of the body of Christ. Christ founded the church. You want to be part of the group. Baptism comes later because it indicates to the world that you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. But these are just the uh, the things that follow true, genuine Christianity. These are not the things that make you a Christian. Uh, these are things that follow as a result of being a believer. Do you have a question? We would love for you to call and be put live on the air. You can call 268-462-7420. The phone line is open and available and awaiting your call. Again, 268-462-7420. We'll put you live on the air. You can send in your question via WhatsApp or text message to 268-782-1454. Again, if you want to send in a comment or a question and you want it to be completely anonymous, just put anonymous or country. Please don't mention the country at the beginning of the message, and we will keep it completely anonymous. In fact, in the room where we are live on the air, we do not get any of your information, so we have no clue that it is you that is asking the question, and the call screener keeps that information separate from us. We look forward to answering your questions from a biblical worldview. Maybe you're joining us on Facebook. Welcome, no matter how you're joining us, whether it's on AM, FM, or on Facebook. But you can send your questions in on Facebook right there on your device in the comment section. Send in your question or your suggested topic that you would like us to cover. Again, we want this program to be as practical as possible every single week, year after year. And the best way to do that is for us to be discussing the things that are close to you. So if you have a topic that you want to suggest, please send it in and we will prayerfully consider it and cover it in future episode as the Lord leads. Pastor, you were talking about what happens when social services or the police get involved and you mentioned a medical exam and that they will check out the safety of the child. Is there anything else that you're aware of that would happen? No, I have not. Uh, as a matter of fact, I really should have called social service to find out more specifically what goes on to this one because I checked with somebody who works at the hospital um, which department really handles this thing. I was told social services. I don't know if there's a particular uh, child protection part of it, whatever it is and how it works. Um, but I would say to any person who is, uh, feel that they need to report something, uh, call social services and find out exactly what what department or which area handles that and then um, if you feel to call the police again they're going to have to work jointly together social service and the police in this matter but police has to investigate to find out if it's a criminal act or not but that's um, I haven't really um, gone to them exactly to find out exactly what are the specific steps and just give us a general things that happen in that regard What are if it's possible to quantitate this what are the effects of sexual abuse? Well, the thing that we need to remember is that um, the victim is often scarred for life, long term. Uh, that's the thing that the, that's a terrible thing about this whole matter. Um, recovery is possible, but recovery takes time. Uh, Eighty-three percent of those victims claim that the greatest damage that is done to them is not physical 
but emotional, hmm. right? That's the, you know, the, the physical can normally heal. The torn parts can be healed, whatever it is, but it's the emotional part of them. And it depends, Nathan, on the age of the person when it happens. It depends on the personality of the person. It depends on the sex of the person. Uh, boogery for boys far more uh, shameful, uh, in a sense, because it's, it's abnormal, it's unnatural. Okay, uh, it depends on the type of abuse as well. Is it molestation? Is it whatever it is? Is it rape? Is it whatever it is? Uh, and it also depends on their past experience. Uh, if this is something that's happened before or whatever it is. Um, so depending on that, the effects uh, of abuse vary. Um, but there are several things that happen and I want to deal with, with three areas in the area of the emotions or the feelings uh, go ahead yeah, Pastor we have Codrington on the line Codrington thank you for calling and go ahead with your question quickly please okay my question is um, remember when um, God read the Ten Commandments to Moses the first time uh-huh. and then the second time he write another one yeah Tell me if God words never change when Moses mash up the first one. Well, it, it doesn't change in the sense that the words don't change. If I wrote the Ten Commandments on one page, and, uh, and I wrote the same Ten Commandments on another page, and I ripped up the first page, I haven't changed the commandments. It's the same basic commandments that were there. Uh, so I, I'm not too sure what the peculiar emphasis you're trying to indicate there. But when it says it doesn't change, I mean, for example, the original scripture was written in what? Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. But we don't have a Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek Bible. Does that mean we don't have the Bible? It hasn't changed. It is only the language that has changed in terms of, but the same things that are there in the original are what we have today. So the changing either the language or changing the medium on which it is written doesn't change the word. It is the actual contents of the word itself, the the verbal plenary inspiration of the Bible, which means that all the words of the Bible are inspired, not just the thoughts. That doesn't change. But certainly when the Bible was first written, it was not written on paper. Does that mean we don't have the Word of God? If I use your argument there, it's the same same kind of argument. So it's not the medium on which that doesn't change. The medium was a rock in that case on which it was written. Today it's now written on paper. It was written before on skins. It was written on parchment. But the words didn't change, etc. So um, that's what it means. It doesn't mean that you're not going to use something else. It's talking about the actual content of the words and the writing and the words itself. They haven't changed. Does that help you? Yeah, well, it, well, but it was it was it was the, the the in other words, the stone was changed clearly, but not the not the content of what was on the stone. His tenth commandments, as as it was written on the first ten, was actually uh, on the second as well. But it, the whole story there is not about the the thing. It's about Moses' anger. Uh, that was the whole story that his anger and because of his anger he was kept out of the promised land hmm. Moses was the meekest man on the planet earth very humble man but in that rage 
he just, the Lord said, you know, pack your bags, quite frankly. I'm going to show you Mount Nebo. Go and look at Mount Nebo. You see this promised land? You're not going to get on it because you knew better and you allowed your anger to get the better of you. But we do find that Moses does eventually get into the promised land on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he gets there, but in that case, he was kept out because of his wrath and his anger. And um, he couldn't control himself. He lost control, and God uh, punished Moses. So even though Moses is a godly person, and he certainly is a few men as great as Moses, yet it shows you that he's still made of feet of clay. And we, and, and by the way, notice that his downfall was in the ear of his strength. And that's where and a lot of times we fall down. The area that we are strongest in is the area that we normally fall in. That's what happened to Moses. That's mm-hmm. the lesson that is being taught in that passage. Codrington, thank you for your call. We appreciate it. And keep your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and continue to encourage others to tune in to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Pastor, you were talking about the effects of abuse, of sexual abuse. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the, let me just mention in three different areas, in the area of the feelings, in the area of the thinking, and the area of their, um, the actions that they, 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 they perform. Uh, in terms of th- their uh, emotions and, and feelings, uh, there's anger. There's residual anger there, and there's anger that doesn't seem to go away, to be very honest. That, that's the thing about this. They're angry for a long, long period of time because what has happened to them, and often they haven't been able to tell this story. And when they do tell this story, they're not believable or they're just afraid of but they're just they're angry about it what's really happened uh, so anger is a common factor in people who've been abused and sometimes they take out that anger on other people as well but you don't know it's latent anger in there that has never been resolved fear uh, it's another great thing fear of being discovered it being discovered the embarrassment uh, who wants to, to, to know that other people know about that? Fear of what the person might do if it's ever told. Fear that uh, the, the whole thing might turn around where I seem as though I'm the one responsible and not the, the culprit. So there's that, that fear that is there as well. Shame. You never get away from shame in, in this kind of thing. It's, it's something that haunts you. Um, guilt. Uh, I mentioned uh, previously that you feel that somehow this whole thing twists this whole thing, and depending on the, what the person been telling you all this time, you know. But you, 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 you were part of it as well. And uh, how come you didn't uh, stop me the second time or the third time or the fourth time? You know, why you allowed this to go on so long? So you're part of it. I can see somebody injecting that thought into your mind, and you really assuming. That you know that you so you're carrying this this guilt that you're partly responsible for this whole matter. Embarrassment is another factor uh, in this matter. Confuse. Uh, who, am I responsible? He's responsible. Who, who's really responsible here? Uh, should I feel guilty about this thing? Should I not feel guilty about it? You're totally confused. Uh, confused about God. Why didn't God stop this? Right. And uh, and if it's a person who's a, a professed believer, that makes it even worse. Uh, and, and so on. Um, worthlessness, uh, feeling that you are no nasty and you're not clean and nobody would desire you if they learned that you've been down this road. Feeling dirty, all unclean on the inside. It's not uncommon for people to, uh, to have, who've gone through this to actually go in the shower and just bathe and bathe and bathe and bathe and bathe mm. because that is there. And that person is also feels very vulnerable uh, that this thing can happen again. And, uh, and 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 then uh, self pity is another great thing. 
and I mentioned self-blame and the other thing is this depression dark moments that you you know you've got this secret for so long uh, you feel so guilty you feel so bad about yourself and you um, pretty much have a very negative view of yourself and when you have a negative view of yourself you're going to have this 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 low morbid uh, self-pity that leads you to bouts of being in the blues and being depressed so that's a, that's uh, the feeling part of it in terms of thinking the person normally have a low self-concept of themselves uh, they think themselves of being unattractive um, incompetent inadequate um, unwanted uh, and this also helps to create the point where they have an impaired uh, ability to concentrate because the mind is always so confused um, and uh, the other thing is <clears throat> they feel uh, a sense of helplessness uh, because they are afraid of the consequences that have been reported and uh, and I said before in the thinking they blame themselves and then the, in terms of action um, they now become might develop to become antisocial in their behavior uh, would be called withdrawal uh, they develop sometimes learning disabilities because they're um, they try to deal with this internal problem so they begin to have problems at school etc um, they have interpersonal tensions uh, with people um, uh, there's a tendency to become violent and abusive themselves and that's the funny thing about people who have been abused they themselves become abusers uh, as you know same thing with, with men who abuse their uh, watch their dad abuse their mom they turn around and become abusers sometimes they're afraid of venturing certain places uh, etc many withdraw from people when they really need people at that time and uh they might withdraw into a world of mental fantasy. Um, they might turn to alcohol, might turn to drugs, um, and there will always be at some point in time um, martial tension uh, in, their, in, in their marriage. And often, uh, at some point in time, they get uh, what you call flashbacks uh, that affects their relationship uh, with their spouse. And this can lead to the marriage being either broken up or it can lead to some kind of separation. But it, it's something that is a traumatic thing that happens to the person. So it's not just the feelings and just the thinking, but this kind of action as well uh, results of a, a part of the effects. But these are deep, deep things that need to be uh, helped and dealt with. And uh, that's why sometimes you need somebody who's a professional in terms of dealing with this kind of trauma. Uh, but in my judgment, the person that can person that can best give what a person needs at that time, forgiveness from guilt, a sense of self-worth and dignity, a sense of love and compassion, a sense of empathy, uh, uh, I think that this comes from the being able to bring God into the picture and, uh, and, and help them to turn to Christ and turn to Him for forgiveness and pardon and restoration of their lives. We have a follow-up comment in relation to the question that came in on WhatsApp about the mother-in-law situation. Pastor Murphy, we've tried everything that you stated multiple times, and there's been no resolution. How can I overcome feelings of jealousy and anger 
especially toward my mother and mother-in-law, when I see a clear indifference in treatment towards my brother's girlfriend and my wife. I have seen my brother bring his girlfriend in the house and carried her in his bedroom without my mom saying anything. Again, I, I'm trying to figure out, uh, I have a little problem there, for example. Uh, if your brother is bringing his girlfriend into the house and going into the bedroom, that's not proper. I can't see why Why would a parent allow uh, her son to bring his girlfriend and go into the bedroom. So I am assuming that we're not dealing here with a Christian home. I can't imagine me dealing with a Christian home here. Uh, so that's where I'm trying to figure out who I'm dealing with. Am I dealing with somebody who is not saved? Am I dealing with a family who, who's professed to be saved? So that would have to be de- cleared up. Uh, but it's not proper that that should happen within a Christian home. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit confused uh, with that. I would say that if I'm speaking to somebody where both people profess to be Christian, I think your wife needs to be dealt with. Uh, when I say dealt with, I think that the if she goes to church now, I think the pastor ought to confront her. And I think she may come to the point where if her attitude is, is, is so mean and so resentful and so hateful, that's a problem. The wife or the mother or not? Uh, I am not too sure who I'm dealing with here. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I'm okay. saying, right? Uh, all I'm saying to you, that if we're here dealing with Christians, either way, the wife, the mother, whatever it is, if it's the mom as well and she's going to church, I think the pastor needs to be brought into this picture to try to solve this, this kind of a problem. Because, uh, And if she doesn't respond, you know, look, there's a biblical teaching on this matter in Matthew chapter 18 that the proper thing is to go to the person individually. And if you haven't sat down with your mom or your mother-in-law individually, that's the first thing you should do, uh, sit down with, with the person. If they're not responding the way that they should biblically, you carry somebody else, the Bible says. If she still does not respond properly, you bring the matter to the church. Get the church involved in this matter, etc. Uh, but that's the biblical model. Uh, but I am, I am, I'm insisting this, that if you're dealing with Christian people, these problems should be solvable. Once you should be able to bring to bear the biblical teaching on these matters, uh, there should be repentance if there needs to be repentance. There should be forgiveness if there needs to be forgiveness. But it's simply not acceptable that this continue and continue and continue uh, is not helping you. Is not helping your wife. Is not going to help your marriage, and I would not be surprised if somewhere down the line, uh, the situation becomes so bad that there's going to be some kind of a separation, some kind of an explosion that would create. So deal with it. And you said you've done all these things. I, I, <laughs> I have a note here. Everyone in the situation is a professing Christian. Yeah. Well, again. Uh, I hope if you're going to the same church, I don't know if you're going to the same church, but this has to be a pastoral matter needs to be brought into this whole thing, bring the pastor and the deacons to meet with these people and try to get this matter. And remember this, if they don't listen to the church, there are consequences. If it's not resolved, you can't leave a person. Can You know what? That's, how that's affecting the church if what you're telling me is true? You've got people with so much resentment and so much hate in in the very church you're in. How is God going to bless in that situation? So it's best that this problem be resolved as amicably as possible. But certainly, 
uh, we are directed that we need to forgive a hundred times, seventy times seven indefinitely if the person, if there's need to, to say, look, I'm sorry, I did something wrong, I need your forgiveness. And a person who is mean and unforgiving and just not forgive, there's something spiritually wrong with that person and something need to be dealt with in that matter. We have two questions that have come in, and we've got just over three minutes left in the program. We'll see if we've got time for both of these. The first one, do you think an adult who was molested as a child can harbor deep feelings of resentment for a parent who was mostly absent? Yeah, I think that's possible, because you feel that if the parent was there, it wouldn't happen. So I can see that you can develop that resentment, but I think that that resentment, uh, it might be that you need to sit down with your parents and find out. It may very well be that uh, it was a situation where they were had to work or, or whatever it is. I'm not, ex- I'm not trying to excuse absentee parenthood, but there are some times when if you only knew the financial situation at the time where the person had to work two jobs or three jobs, I think when you get to know the whole scenario, why the absentee was, absence was there. And then um, if the parent realizes that as a result of their absence, this has happened to you, they should be saying to you, listen, I am so sorry. Uh, I, I, I wasn't aware of the consequences of my actions, and all I can ask is to forgive me. So something has to be done, but yes, it can happen. I believe it happens a lot of times when people have been abused by people, like a next-door neighbor who's allowed to come in, the parents are not there. Uh, you feel that that should not have been allowed, right? So, yeah, but again, you can't leave it there. You can't have this... Uh, deep resentment there for so long and not deal with it. You've got to deal with it as a believer. So, well, if it is there, sit down and talk with your mom and your dad. Find out why it is that they weren't there for you. And if you can convince them that, you know, and you can show them, but mom, you could have done this and that. I don't know of a sane person, a sane Christian uh, parent, who would not say, listen, I am so, so very sorry what I did. As a result of what I did, you got hurt. And all I can ask at this point is to forgive me. And I think that if you love your parents, I think that uh, once they explain to you, not that they're excusing it now, uh, you say, you know, I, I maybe didn't see it that from that angle, but again, there needs to be forgiveness and pardoning in that matter. What's the second one? Second question, a lot of women respond differently to sexual abuse. Some turn to hiding from men, while others turn to prostitution or sleeping around. Is there any particular reason for the difference in direction? Well, look, um, I don't know. I probably have to ask women that, but I do know the ones that turn to uh, um, become very promiscuous is that this thing has happened to them and they have this sense that they're dirty. They don't feel good about themselves. They don't, and and, uh, they feel like they've been robbed of something very special and they have been robbed of something very special and their way of dealing with this matter is well you know let me go all the way and just just think it the other one with the person now they're very uh, resentful that men have hurt them and they now have a very distaste for men because and when you've been hurt um uh, especially by somebody that you believe that you trusted. The question is, who do you trust now? Mm-hmm. So you feel that you can't trust any man after that. And imagine if it was your father or your uncle or your cousin uh, or your stepbrother or something. Imagine what that means. So you, you now look at all men as people who will take advantage of you, so therefore of the person, therefore they turn. I can see them turning away from men as that. The other one basically is I'm not, you know, I've been used now, so let me just enjoy it where I can get it. But 
again uh, women are more disposed to tell you that and um, maybe I would do a little bit more reading to see how these women have responded and why they've reacted these two ways in the last 30 seconds pastor is there hope for recovery for the individual who has been victimized in this area there's always hope and that hope is found in Christ and his pardoning power and his redemptive power so there's hope for us there's hope for anyone who's been hurt hope for any sinner because Christ is the Savior of all men. You just need to turn to Him and trust Him. There's hope. And that hope it relates to whether your age is old or young? Doesn't matter. Uh, he says, Come unto me, all that labor, and I will give you rest. Thank you for listening to That's Truth. Have a blessed night and keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM, If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.